1: Glad to have you back on the Retirement Pathfinder. I'm Ben George, joined as always by Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. They are retirement income planning specialists at Pathfinder Wealth Management. Today we got a special show, which we'll tell you about in just a second. Barbara and Phil, welcome in. How are you?
0: We're doing great. Great, Ben.
2: Yep, good to, good to be here today. We're, we're excited about these guys that came to join us today. And, um, so what I'm going to do, because I, we am keeping our listeners in suspense here because at our last podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm. we said that Phil and I were going to have some estate planning attorneys with us and we did not give the name of the firm because it was supposed to be a surprise. So we'll, we'll just go ahead and get started then, Ben.
3: Yeah. Let's and,
2: do it. uh, so the law offices, Agnew Law Offices and they, are, they're a third generation planning estate planning firm locally here in Rockford. And we've been working with their firm for many years, assisting our clients with their estate planning needs. So I'm going to give them the floor to introduce themselves and also to talk a little bit about their firm. And then we're going to discuss two important topics for today. So you guys have the floor, Adam, oh, Alex. Yep. So
3: we're, um, yep, just like Barb said, we're third generation family law firm. We, uh, My grandfather was a chief judge for 21 years. Um, he was of counsel of our firm, which many, <laughs> he slept a lot in the back, but <laughs> you know, he, it still counts. Um, but otherwise, our, our dad's been part of the practice since 1995. My brother, Alex, and I have been part of it since 2013. 2013. Yep. Um, our two cousins are part of it. <laughs> our brother-in-law is part of it. So
0: very, very, very big
3: family. By the way, you
0: me. guys are, are you identical twins? Yes, we are. Oh, yeah. All right. I, I
3: wouldn't normally claim him, but that's <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so it's, so we Focus almost exclusively on estate planning. So, yep, done this, done it a few times. Yes, right. Yeah, been right around the block.
2: <laughs> All right. And by the way, Alex has twin sons, so I mean, it's, it's staying within the family.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed, and twin nieces. I met yep. like, for my sister. So, <laughs> yep. yeah, that's right. Amazing stuff. Oh, it's it's scary. It yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> your triplets are going to be fun. That's uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: well, we appreciate you guys coming today and talking to our listeners, and we're going to talk about a couple of topics today. And the first one I'd like you guys to cover is the stretch IRA for non-spouse beneficiaries mm-hmm. since that has been reduced to 10 years versus the beneficiaries lifetimes previously. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, if you could just talk about an estate plan, you know, even no matter how simple or complex that uh, we, we often hear, I don't have an estate, I don't need an estate plan. I don't, ah. I don't have a, a, an estate that big. And really what you can just explain to our listeners what it's about is control, not so much the size of your estate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to give you guys the floor. And if you want to just start out by just talking a little bit about the stretch IRA and what that was and now what it has turned into. But there's ways to work around those issues.
1: Mm-hmm. So basically with the stretch IRA, that was traditionally the government's way of encouraging people to you know, say for their own retirement. Put your money in IRA today, getting tax deduction, putting it in.
3: Don't pay taxes taxes. now. Just a good friend. You just you defer those. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, as
1: you got older, you start hitting certain threshold ages, previously 71 and a half. They would start making you draw from that account Uh, when you ultimately would pass and you would leave it to a beneficiary other than your spouse. The IRS at that point would have given us three options and they would have said beneficiary. We're not going to let you defer this into your retirement age like your parents. It wasn't your retirement account. It's not good friendship. No, it's theirs. So they would have said, beneficiary, you can take this IRA balance all at once and pay taxes on it, take it out over five years or take it out over their, quote, life expectancy, which was basically a table the IRS has. And depending on the beneficiary's age, when they were being asked that question, we just plug that age into their table. The IRS would tell us this is how long your, quote, life expectancy is. So that's the time horizon you have to take this out. Uh, Usually that time horizon was 82 to 83. So if we had a 20-year-old, they basically would say, hey, you got 63 years. You can withdraw this over a 63-year window. Pretty good deal because we only had to take little portions out each year. So the stretch aspect of this was stretching those taxes into that later retirement age as opposed to taking that tax hit all at once. Uh, Now, with this SECURE Act, basically the IRS said that was a little too generous. It's too good of a deal for these beneficiaries. They didn't want to wait 60 plus years in this case for this 20-year-old to take that IRA out and for them to get their taxes. So they said, going forward, we don't care how old you are. You have a 10-year window. We don't care how or when you take the IRA out in that 10 years. But when we hit year 10, it's tax time. Anything you haven't taken needs to come out claim that as income, pay taxes on it.
3: Good day for the IRS. Good day for the IRS. Nobody else. Yes.
1: And that's basically where we stand
0: today as far as the new uh, IRA distribution plan. So how would this work with regard to trust then? That's that's changed a little bit too, hasn't it? Mm-hmm.
3: So that with trust, with the old rules, you, beneficiaries had to have a minimum distribution as part of the, the life expectancy stretch Alex mentioned. And if you didn't take the minimum, it was a big deal. IRS got a little bit out of shape. They penalize you. Big deal. So if we were setting a trust up for a beneficiary, we wanted to make sure that that minimum distribution was taken out every year so there wouldn't be penalties. So most trusts were written up as they should have been to say, trustee, whatever the instructions say, regardless, we want you to take the minimum distribution out of that retirement account and pass it on to the child so there are no penalties no no massive tax hits for that that type of language was really helpful for the rules that had minimum distributions until this lovely lovely new secure act it's always a flowery name Mm -hmm. uh, the lovely new act there is no more minimum distribution they with the 10-year rule alex mentioned you just take it whatever you want take it all in year one take it all in year 10 whatever however you want to do it year seven totally random good Mm -hmm. for that guy but They didn't, the IRS didn't care. You just need to pay all the taxes by year 10. So the problem was if there is no minimum distribution, then year 10 really is because everything has to be, Mm -hmm. all the taxes have to be paid at that point. So if I had an old document that said, pay out the minimum every year and nothing more, more, Mm -hmm. then in year 10, regardless of what the rest of the document says, we're pushing those IRA dollars through to the beneficiary. So I've got a 15 year old, you know, We're pushing the the money through, so I want to hold the money for the 15-year-old maybe until they turn 30, 40, 50. I've only got got the instructions to drag the trust out that long, but with the minimum distribution language, we're pushing the money out in the 10th year, so we just gave that 25-year-old... A wonderful weekend, and they're gonna have a great time at Best Buy, but that didn't follow the instructions of the trust. The money was supposed to be extended over that period of time. So, what should you look for in a document? You're looking for that language that says pay the minimum distribution, regardless. And that just needs to be revisited with whatever law firm drafted that document, just to make sure that your instructions stay your instructions. We're not forcing the money early or any of those kind of potential
0: issues. So what you're saying is that life is not static any longer. I mean, you you really are revisiting these documents now with your clients and anybody who does have a trust or an estate plan of this kind Mm -hmm. should do that. They should Mm -hmm. get back in contact with their attorneys and uh, upgrade those.
3: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's one of those where if there was any type of provision for a trust, it's worth at least taking a peek because you you don't want to have your mindset being, oh, this is how my estate plan is going to play out, only to have it be a wildly different Mm -hmm. set of instructions, especially because a big bulk of most people's estates will be retirement dollars. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking usually about a small piece of the plan. We're talking about a big, big chunk there.
1: In our area of practice, the law doesn't change very often. It's just state taxes may rise. Yeah. But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it is one of those things where it actually did warrant, hey, let's at least sit down and talk about this. It may not affect every client, but it certainly will affect enough of them. Even if we don't change anything else, just modernizing the document, modernizing the language, just to account for this new rule. Uh, Unfortunately, we are tending to update trust, even just solely for that purpose. So very much worth at least a sit down
0: and revisiting. Right. Yeah. So, Barbara, did you have a question?
2: Oh, I'm just going to say the one good benefit, if anything, of, you know, the 10-year rule is that if you have high income, you know, mm-hmm. your kids are working, mm-hmm. they're not required to take anything until the 10th year. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. at least at that time, they could possibly be retired. But, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a, that's a good point, if you will, because there's few. But, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that, that also, I think, is important to acknowledge too, because now that we have a more flexibility built into it, it is more important the client has more control. So they need to work with their financial mm-hmm. professionals to, really define that scope because they're really going to be looking to, you know, the planners themselves to be able to say, this makes sense when to take it, take it all at once, leave it. So there is more of a planning aspect that goes into this as opposed to the IRS saying, here's what you get each year.
0: Yeah. Um, So that brings us to another question. So let's say that we have a a younger, younger heirs to the estate and the parents say, look, we don't want to really have the clients or our particular heirs to take it at the 10th year. We want to be able to, you know, have that uh, money protected. Mm -hmm. Do they have to pay it out directly to the heirs or can they be doing something else with it, which kind of leads us to the next part of the topic, which is Mm -hmm. the estate plan itself.
3: Mm -hmm. So there's the instructions from the IRS are pretty clear. The taxes have to be paid in year 10, by year 10 doesn't say anything else about where the money goes, just, hey, you have to pay the taxes. So if the document is properly constructed, you can direct the trustee to go ahead and pay the taxes on those dollars in the 10th year, but we're still retaining them in trust for that child's benefit. Now, there is a trade-off to that just in that trust tax rates are a lot higher than what an individual would be paying. When we had a stretch IRA, you didn't have to choose. It was tax efficient and it was fully protected. When we're talking about holding IRA dollars for a longer period of time now, the trust paying taxes, that is a trade-off we have to consider tax efficiency. But on the other end of the spectrum there, yes, there's higher taxes, but we are guaranteeing that that money can't be taken away by creditors. The divorce tax is going to be, what, 50%? Mm-hmm. Um, car accidents, lawsuits, slip and rolls, right. medical medical issues. issues. So a lot of times it really is worth protecting those dollars, especially because it's Typically, with a trust, it could be a long term type of inheritance. And if we had to pay a little bit of tax or some tax up front in year 10, usually that trust is going to still be going on for another 10, 20, 30 years. That's a long time for those assets to be able to make up the growth and the taxes we had to pay, all the while being free from any creditors.
0: So, yeah. So, generally speaking, then what you're saying is that when a trust, when a person dies and then, you know, parents die, it's paid out from the trust and the trust ends. Now, you're saying there's another way to protect those heirs uh, with the trust from that point forward. How Mm -hmm. does that work?
1: Basically, again, we look to the estate plan itself. Um, if we want a trust fund set up for beneficiaries, I think most people traditionally associate it with something that's a more short term approach. I don't trust my kids. For I want to help, Usually for a right? minor, yeah. for young adults, let's get them to 25, 30, whatever, and be done. That is not certainly not the, I mean, it's, it's a valid reason, but it's certainly not the only reason people do do trust. Uh, and of course, I think the overarching reason. Aside from not trusting our beneficiary is revisiting some of the potential legal actions that I mentioned, and I don't trust the rest of the world not to try to take it away from them. Uh, When you set up a trust for someone else, you fund it, you put your instructions in place so that they have to, they have a set of rules that need to be followed. Uh, There is a significant degree of asset protection that goes along with that. So. If this same beneficiary who was going through that divorce or car accident or medical issue or whatever, if their inheritance was in this trust fund, that's automatically off the table. It's not their asset to bring into consideration. Um, So as part of an estate plan, in my instructions, I would say when I pass, instead of having my money go directly to my child, I would want a trust fund set up for them. I would direct my assets, including my IRA dollars, uh, into that trust ultimately when I pass. And then now that it's in that trust, they follow my rules, they follow my stipulations. But now there's protection in place around those funds, in addition to whatever other goals or missions or what I would have had as far as when they can access those funds, how they access, and how long it's protected. Um, So coming back to the fact of the IRA itself, if the money is earmarked to go into the trust, and I saw this as more of a long-term vehicle, then really my goal isn't to necessarily dump the money out to my child in year ten. I want the trust to have language that says hold on to those dollars, pay the taxes on them. Yes, but to me, in that case, the protection will be more important than just raw tax efficiency. Uh, but once the money's paid out to that trust, it's just invested with the rest of the assets. They can grow and continue to be used under those same protections and benefits going forward.
0: So, what type of provisions would you have in the trust to to have monies paid out to the heirs? I'm sure they'd look forward to the, some of their inheritance. Point,
3: <laughs> right? Well, the the kind of the cookie cutter industry standard is. Something like Alex said, maybe some at 20, some at 25, some at 30, health education, they call it HEMS, health education, maintenance, and support. Oh, well, it sounds lovely. It really does until you go health. That was literally one word <laughs> like doctors. Yeah, sure. Vision care, prescription drugs, health insurance, dental, dental care. I, it says health. Yeah. Those are issues. Those, that It can be very difficult to ascertain what you're looking for. The the administrator has has to put a lot of discretion in there. The beneficiary doesn't always know what, what, what's for my support. Mm-hmm. Trusts don't have to be like that. They, they can be very open, very flexible, very clear documents. I mean, we could, I'm really hoping a 30 year old child is healthy, educated, their JOB is buying their clothes. You know, so mm-hmm. this trust right. doesn't need to be doing that. Um, so we would want to. If we were talking about long-term protection to keep the money safe, not from necessarily from the beneficiary, but from the outside world, we want to open that up a lot more. Maybe if they need to get the down payment for a house, or if they need seed money to start a business, or they want to educate their children, your grandchildren, or go nuts, anything in their best interest you know, for matching snowmobiles. Okay. It's in my best interest. But I think
1: it's also <laughs> important to, to, you know, we can revisit and define those terms a lot more. Like if we're sitting down with a client, we want to know what does health mean to mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. You know, that way mm-hmm. we're not asking uh, some random trustee to decide what you meant or what was best for your mm-hmm. kids. We're saying you tell us. So it's very clear in the document. If you want a dental covered document, says it person in charge says it. We're not looking for them to say, yes, this is what you meant for your kids. You're telling them this mm-hmm. is good, this is not, this is what I meant. So, which is great. Defining
3: the scope is, I think,
1: mm-hmm. and the scope can be whatever the client wants it to be, as long as it's something that we can.
3: Right, they still have to. They still have to ask for money. So it's a nice, flexible tool. But we also like to throw in another route for them, so they don't always have to ask for money. Um, traditionally, again, you saw documents say pay out the income quarterly, which was because stocks paid dividends quarterly Thirty years
0: ago. <laughs> yeah. Some of our clients may not really understand the difference between, let's say a will and a trust. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times they have, <clears throat> excuse me, they have a trust, but they say, well, we have a will. Mm-hmm. So they get that confused all the time. What is the difference between a will and a trust guys?
3: Mm-hmm. So when we're, we've been, uh, just because the state planning is such a fun topic. Yeah, mm-hmm. We also like to throw a wrench in it by using a bunch of terms interchangeably. Um, when we were saying trust earlier, t- for children, for beneficiaries, for you are setting up these instructions for your mm-hmm. children. That is a testamentary trust. Think last will and testament springs forward when I die. It's a blueprint. It's a blueprint in whatever document you have. What, what Phil's saying, trust versus will, that's going to be more of like a revocable trust, a living trust, if you hear all those fancy buzzwords. Those will versus revocable trust, those are a discussion for how, how difficult will it be to get my assets to my beneficiaries. They will read the same, ultimately, when it comes to the instructions. You're just kind of picking a Tupperware container to put those instructions in and then deciding how difficult it will be to open those containers and get at those instructions. So with a will, I think most people think if I took the time to do a will, it's just going to get administered. If it's my child, a professional trustee, whatever, they can step up and do everything they need to do because I took the time to do a will. Mm -hmm. In actuality, all that did was put you in the crosshairs of the probate court because right. I'm looking at anything that needs a signature, real estate, investments, vehicles, bank accounts. When you pass away, somebody needs to sign your name on that deed. It's aside from outright fraud, you'd know, mm-hmm. you have to appoint somebody. So if I do a will, I appoint an executor. I told everybody who I'd like to do that job. I want my child to sign their name on my house, which is mm-hmm. lovely, but it doesn't do anything until that will goes through probate court and a probate judge formally signs off on that executorship. So yes, you told us the instructions. You told us who you want to do that job. But they're going to have to go to court to get the authority to sign their name on your assets.
2: Yeah, it has to be done legally. Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: And that's a long, drawn-out process. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, what is it in Illinois? What is the process time on that?
3: So you're, it's an absolute minimum of a six-month freeze where we need to invite every creditor, disgruntled relative, fifth cousin to come in and
0: have their day in court. Oh, so it's a public document. Oh, it's magical. Anyone, <laughs> anyone
3: who wants can come to the courthouse, watch these proceedings. People do that Um, from start to finish.
1: You mm -hmm. don't have a choice. This is not one of those areas you can represent yourself. You're going to have to hire a law firm, sit down with them, set a court date here in front of a judge, assuming nobody wants to fight with who you named as executor because they have a right to contest or the instructions, or the instructions, Mm -hmm. you know, at least that person will be appointed, but then we have to freeze the estate for that six month window Adam mentioned at a public hearing, at a public hearing to pay bills, Mm -hmm. expenses, but then everything else needs to be frozen Mm -hmm. to make sure that that window can be met.
2: So that can all, that can all, and then it's, costly. So probate can be very costly, Yes, you know, 5% to more uh, or more from, of the estate. Uh-huh. So uh, what is the alternative? Maybe it's like a revocable living trust then.
3: Right. So the trust, like I said, well, that's going to read the exact same as a will. The, you name it, a trustee you know, instead of an executor, which is identical, is an identical job. Unlike a will, the trust is not governed by the probate act. The trust can assign authority to that trustee right away. We don't need a judge to sign off on all those those capabilities to sign. So a trust does not have to go through the probate process. You don't need to hire a law firm to take it through court. It's very private. There's no public hearings. So that is why so many people typically will be preferring a revocable trust to a will.
1: It basically does what most people envision they did with the will. The trust is
3: what actually Mm. does that. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, because when I sit down with people and they say they have a will, and they're very surprised that their kids have to go through probate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: <clears throat> yeah. Well, so. I think so many people say I don't have enough money for a trust, and that is not a true statement because if I have a hundred yes. million dollars estate and I have to pay hundred thousand in taxes, okay, mm-hmm. was probate like, fees. Yeah, probate fees. It was a little. It was a little chunk, but if I have a hundred thousand dollars estate and I'm paying four thousand in attorney's fees or more, or more, that's a big deal. So mm-hmm. the estate size is a very common fallacy. I think if anything. You want to trust with this to, trust <laughs> to avoid state. taking a, what could be a bigger chunk of your assets. So small to large, trust is generally going to be the better option.
0: So you'd say that probably the greatest advantage of having a trust is that it, it gives the control to the family versus mm-hmm. the probate courts in mm-hmm. the will yes. situation. Yes,
3: yes private. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, no private. public hearings, no invitations to fight. If you're not named in it, you don't get to see it.
1: Yep, but so, I'd emphasize that is the major advantage. It is a probate avoidance tool. This is the discussion for a later time. It's not an asset protection vehicle in and of itself for the client.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Avoiding probate is the key for a revocable trust.
2: Right. So an estate plan can be as simple and basic, or it can be as complicated, mm-hmm. or
0: generational
2: um, generationally as, genera- mm-hmm. as you like it to be. Uh-huh. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, one of the things that i've liked about when you guys have set up trust for us is that you've opened up that window with uh besides the health support maintenance and education so you get, give a list to the clients a couple of a couple pages of things that they would like to see paid out mm-hmm. and you know then and, and it is more open as mm-hmm. you said it's not as restrictive mm-hmm. doesn't have
3: to be right and
1: the time frame is however they want it can be you know, into the child's Retirement years, keep it protected through then. It can go for their lifetime and on to the next generation. Pay out to the grandkids, can keep going for the grandkids and go to the next generation. I mean, it's entirely whatever
3: goals that the the clients have. It's something we can put together.
1: Are there any
0: tax advantages to it generationally?
3: So we are seeing a lot more of a trend towards generational planning, which sounds complicated, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. Um, If I protect the money for my child until they're 60, that's really nice. I protected it through the turbulent years. Hopefully in the retirement years, they can enjoy it. But what we're seeing it happen a lot is the child gets 60, 65, 70, gets the full balance of the trust, gets ready to spend it, gets sick, goes into assisted living. Now we just protected the money for 60 years just to give it to Illinois, which nobody wants to do. <laughs> so there is a bigger trend towards generational planning where I don't give a lump sum to my child. We just have this go into perpetuity. It's there for their lifetime. The, another major benefit of doing that, there was no lump sum that exposed it to creditors, but from a tax perspective. Once the money goes into that that trust, and generation skipping is kind of a confusing term, we're not skipping anyone. Really what we're doing is we're not ever making another lump sum. So once that money goes into the trust and it continues for perpetuity, it's not prone to the estate tax anymore. If it's Mm -hmm. taken out
1: of the tax system because it wasn't the child's asset when they passed, Mm -hmm. um, so it's not part of their um, estate as far as estate tax purposes are concerned. And that goes forward as, as that continues to grow to ridiculous numbers. At each successive generation, that's not their money to be taxed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we got our one shot from the get-go, mm-hmm. and the IRS doesn't get a look at it again. So um, you don't have
0: to be a Rockefeller or a Mellon for you to uh, avoid those taxes. No, no, uh, and will turn then, into one after a couple. You will.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't
3: know how they squeak by on the income of forty billion, but you know yeah. that's <laughs> that, that's what they did. They're, I mean, this isn't a new concept; it's been around for a long time. But I don't think the public was as aware, aware of that. You can certainly do this uh the advent of the internet helped but yeah small seed doesn't have to be this million dollar giants estates you can if you take it out of the tax system and you protect it from divorces and bankruptcies and all those things that's going to be a very big kind of blossom a very big pot over time Mm -hmm.
2: different types of trusts It's like they said who is it that said oh nothing control everything i think it was Rockefeller, (laughs) (laughs) which
0: would make sense yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, did you have anything else? Did you want them to go overfill today? I think that they pretty much covered everything. Yeah, they've um, been
0: pretty comprehensive here. So, you know, if they want to get uh, more information, what do they do, Barb?
2: Well, reach out to us at pathfinderchat.com, or you can give us a phone call at 815-399-9806. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we want to thank Adam and Alex for coming today. Thanks so much, guys. We appreciate your help. And and everything you've done for our clients, they appreciate you too, by the way.
3: <laughs> Just not Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. Home. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Um, Yeah. So any questions, let, let Phil and Barb know. And more than happy to have the fun answering those. So. Sounds <laughs> yep.
2: good. All right. Yeah, no No Thank question.
1: I enjoyed hearing what you guys had to say too. I know this is a very important topic that a lot of people don't always think about, but needs to be part of their their planning process. So again, if you want to get in touch with Barbara and Phil, Pathfinder Chat. Dot com is the easiest way to schedule an appointment, but also if you want to learn more about Adam and Alex and what they do, agnewlaw.com is the website there as well. Guys, thanks again for your time. We do appreciate it. Thank you, guys. We
3: really, really appreciate it, too.
2: Thanks much, guys.